Hello, welcome to MySpot Talks. I'm Chetan Shah, hosting a series of podcasts for the global events industry. As part of our Roaring Twenties event, we kicked off with a Trends Insight report, which two agencies have conducted. We had Hannah Luffman from Cheerful 21st and Edward Lowe from Orange Door. The session does cut out at the beginning and we enter it about a minute in. You know, manna from heaven, but then sales are, te- you know, are slightly terrified by it because they don't, they don't have experience of using virtual platforms to build relationships, you know. But then actually what's happening is the more, more sales savvy teams are realizing that virtual presents um, an environment which is incredibly integrated for marketing to sales, just depending on if you're using the formats in the right way and you're collecting and engaging with people in the right way and you're encouraging shared experiences between salespeople and delegates so that that's forming the basis of a shared experience relationship, which salespeople can then take on after the event. So, you know, what we're seeing now is, what certainly we've experienced is, is that, you know, that seat at the strategic table is happening with one caveat, and that is really depending on the profile of the client. So, you know, the bigger the client, the more strategists they have, and maybe the more protective those strategists are around the strategy, you start getting into kind of the you know the, the middle-sized whatever that means you know for uh sized companies um then there's more appetite and certainly you know the smaller ones that are doing much better they don't have strategists in-house are definitely asking for it a bit more thank you um just you use the phrase there which i quite you event-based nurture pro programs what, what does that mean sorry so I, I think people are pretty used to um using uh, uh, sort of written content, infographics, thought leadership, um, you know, what, what used to be kind of webinars, pre-recorded stuff, which has been put, put up there, you know, which is, you know, I think we've seen the death of webinars to a certain extent because people have had to adapt and, you know, to, to coin your, your, your loathsome phrase, which I'm always using as well, Chet and pivot quickly as well. Um, but what, what we're looking at now is, is, you know, how do we provide virtual experiences as an event? So, you know, if, if we if, if it's, you know, and I, you know, I totally acknowledge that, you know, B2B sales funnels or, or customer purchase paths are incredibly convoluted, but let's just say it's a funnel, um, you know, the top end of that uh, end of that funnel, you know, where third party events, um, you know, play a, a brilliant role. I, what, you know, what maybe we're seeing a little bit more of now is, you know, because first party data is everything, um, you know, people putting on their bigger, broader thought leadership events and then having good talent and experiences within that, splitting out into topic areas, you know, and then the middle area around that funnel, around looking more at interest, industry specific, solution specific. How do you change your format, your speaker, your hosts to cater for the needs of you know, the business and more importantly, the delegate at that stage. And then, you know, towards the bottom of that, um, uh, you know, it's much more of a one-on-one consultative scenario for salespeople, for example. So they're, they're kind of, they're, they're, that's the events experience-based nurture programs rather than just throwing content out there and waiting for people to grab it. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a funny comment from Dina, which obviously was about us being the poor relations. We, was, we only make coffee and do flowers, which which does sum up what where we were. But Hannah, um, do you have you seen a a real collaborative, more so than ever before, spirit with working with clients? So it is more of a strategic partner than a supplier client relationship. Have you seen evidence of that, or is it just all wish, wishful thinking? 
no, we're definitely seeing that it's um, it's it's far more integrated and it's way more partnership approached, and and that that it comes with part of us being part of those conversations on the why. And um, one of the one of the challenges with being added into kind of that earlier layer of the marketing mix is that all the other marketing channels have always known how to show their value and how to prove themselves and how mm. to measure themselves and therefore mm. how to kind of create an ongoing campaign. And, and that's been a new challenge um, really for traditional event agencies is like you say, to, to charge for that workshopping time, to charge for expertise, especially if that's historically not something that's been happening, but then also to demonstrate the value of that because that's the only way that we can really show our worth against all of the other marketing outputs. Of course, if they have film or radio and various other outputs from their marketing channels, that it's really well measured and the value in return of that is really well understood. Um, so that kind of means that we need to make sure that we shift up to that value-based approach as well. So we're definitely seeing more of a push in that direction um, in terms of a longer kind of more integrated campaign as opposed to that standalone event moment. Um, but I agree then the the real win for us is we that would then have all those things plus exactly as Ed's saying and we're the experts in event delivery. Um, so that's quite exciting. I think the only kind of um difference for us is that the biggest challenge hasn't been quite live or virtual or hybrid or or you know how should we but ultimately it's just how do we get people to connect we just we need them to connect to each other we need to build a community we need to have two-way conversation um and how are we going to achieve that we're having that that meeting a, a lot in terms of how that's done do, do you think there's um a danger here for agencies that used to do just maybe one element of the piece, say it was a venue find or, you know, the log logistics delivery or do you, do you think there's a danger there that those businesses, they or they, they really do need to start to offer a more rounded approach or do you think there will be specialisms that will still fit in the market because we will revert back to the, those businesses just doing what they do and they do it really well? Um, yeah, I mean, I definitely, I don't, I don't like the term danger. You know, I'm a massive fan of the underdog, and I'm a big fan of uh, a hate pivot. But you know, there used to be this idea that you should stay in your lane because you do this and you do this and you do this. And actually, the smaller, more agile agencies can move even quicker. And and I, I want people to be excited by that prospect. There's a new space in the market opening up, and actually, it it takes curiosity and enthusiasm to go after that sector of the market. It doesn't. You don't have to be somebody that's worked in that space for 10 years. You just have to be curious enough to find out about it. So I definitely don't think the smaller agencies should be thinking, wow, this shift is really difficult and that's not what we do. Um, also, that's the beauty of talent in our industry and recruitment, right? And contractors and partnerships. You don't have to know it yourself to be able to build it. You should bring in the talent that supports you. Um, so I don't think there's kind of a danger of it. And also, I think there will be those traditional services return. I just think it's the agency's decision as to how soon they want to get moving versus whether or not they want to hold on for that kind of full return that allows those traditional models to come back in. Um, but I, I think I think this space for everybody to kind of find their way in. But I think clever and interesting partnerships um, for any of the agencies who don't quite have that um, kind of integrated knowledge is, is going to be exciting. Yeah, there's a, there's a comment from Peter here who's actually just said exactly that, that collaboration, um, so this is on the stage chat, the collaboration between agencies or businesses with complementary skills could really help 
both parties really, um, which which we have seen some of um, actually take place within the sector where the agencies that were mainly venue fine have been taking you know partnerships with people who do understand virtual. Um, okay, let's let's sorry, move just, just quickly on that point. I think you know the, the 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 terrible fact of the matter is that unless you did virtual or understood how to then quickly do virtual at the beginning of this whole process, you effectively didn't have a business because you know, the worst possible outcome for events business is a global pandemic which stops people from meeting. Do you know what, you know, so if you've been managed to stick in through it, brilliant. But, you know, it is it is about, it will come back. So those specialisms are going to be required. I mean, we need them, everyone needs them, you know, where, where we don't have them. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Ed. Um, let's move, I'm going to move the conversation on a bit to, um, a bit around content and Hannah, Hannah, just tell tell us your background because this this kind of goes into the next question. But your your background's teaching, is that right? Or uh, yeah, it's sadly even more boring. Uh, it's just it's theoretical education, but that's in terms of the the practical application of education in terms of the way that we learn, as opposed to being as exciting as actually delivering it as a teacher. But the the more kind of theory 10,000 word based type side of educational theory so um, it's how we connect how sensory experiences change the way that we um, work and the way that we absorb information and therefore of course in the last year the major challenges that have come out of that. I mean what part of that is boring? <laughs> That's fascinating. I mean also incredible that you've been able to take something that you've studied and actually have a vocational and practical application of it. I mean I did paleoanthropology which is the prehistoric evolution of man and you know the relevance is not quite there but anyway yeah I, I don't I don't think uh I don't think taking this forward to be a party planner would have been the ideal direction my family would have taken with with educational theory but we are where we are <laughs> um so something you talk about in your report um is the authentic voice tell us tell us what that what does that mean and why is that relevant yeah, sure. So we, we essentially break content content down into two sides. So we have we have types of content in terms of the format that we're delivering in, and that's really, really important from accessibility and adoption. But one of the other things about adoption is the type of voice that you're hearing from. And what we spend a lot of time working on with brands is the idea that actually the CEO or the executive voice or the product lead voice, director of sales, isn't the voice that drives adoption. It's normally the voice that leads in terms of the inspiration and the positioning and where we should sit. But the highest level of adoption is actually heard from the authentic voice, which is essentially your matched practitioner level. So it's somebody else who's going through it and who is experiencing it and can actually talk about how they've adopted it and really honestly talk about the challenges as well. Um, people don't actually want to join sessions to just hear about how wonderful the speaker is. They really want to also hear about how it's going to help them. And what we have a tendency to do um, is have presentations, so for brands, and we'll put together speakers that are speaking to other people in the room. There might be four or five of them at their level. And then there's 400 people at a different practitioner level, but we haven't put a matched practitioner on stage to actually talk about that authentic and that practical experience. So um, I do a lot of work in breaking down those voices and there's there's kind of multiple different types of voices to make sure that we're maximizing adoption up and down employee level. Wow, indeed. So, and very quickly, just tell us something that I was, we, when we did the session was learning types. 
Um, tell us about the three learning types um, and why and why they're kind of relevant, important to, to think about. Yeah, sure. So essentially, we all learn in one of or for a small percentage of us, multiple ways, but one of three learning styles. Um, so we either learn visually, um, auditorily or kinesthetically. So visually makes sense. Anybody who kind of learns from a, an infographic, a presentation, anyone who can absorb something conceptual and be able to understand it. Um, Audio-based learning isn't actually listening. It's people who learn better from conversation. So it's people who learn better by being having an opportunity to break it down themselves and repeat it back to reconfirm their understanding. Um, and then kinesthetic learning is people who learn by um, tactile learning. So physical touch and being in an immersive environment. So the reason it's so important is that is how people learn. It's how we design our early years education. It's how your children will learn. That's that is how we learn. And actually, we don't lose that as adults. Um, but when we're then doing digital experiences, it's really easy to just fall in one of those and therefore alienate a different part of the audience. Now, the beauty of live is we became these experts in sensory experience. So how to really immerse people in the environment. And one of the best studies that come out in the last year about why children struggle so much with working from home kind of plays into our conference environments too. So if you put a child in the classroom, just by walking in that room, they understand that they're there to learn because they've done the emotional connection that says, this is where I learn. This is how I behave here and this is where I learn. Then all of a sudden we're putting them in their living room, their bedroom, their kitchen, their playroom, and we're expecting them to learn the place that they associate with playtime and with rest. So losing those environments in terms of homeschooling is incredibly challenging and parents can't change that, particularly if kids are kind of from eight upwards, they've learned, this is how I learn. And then as event planners, if we stick them in, in a conference room, it's the same. I walk in and I understand my behaviour. I mean, I'm an adult, so I understand my behaviour in most places. But I understand that it would be rude to be going through my phone while somebody is presenting. I understand that I'm there to do this. I've made a conscious choice to attend, which is the big difference. Um, kind of, you know, I've made my time to be here. Then all of a sudden we go on digital and we've lost all of that sensory environment and all of that connection. So what's really, really challenging is designing for all three learning styles. And, and we have a massive risk, um, which comes with a lot of learning accessibility issues, um, particularly for anybody um, who doesn't work very well in, in a um, autism, uh, dyslexia type space just being spoken to one way and not having the opportunity to have questions or to do anything tangible we've, we've just we've just alienated them mm. so um a lot of the work that i do is pushing really really hard um with brands to understand that and and design for everybody yeah that is fascinating That's as the comment yeah. um ed you talk about um in your report about events who are going to be reevaluated and shaped by participant needs, hasn't that always been the case? Uh, yeah, a hundred percent. I think, I, 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 off the top of my head, I can't remember the context of what of, of what that sentence <laughs> was, but I'm sure it was it within a bigger context because you're you're absolutely right. Um, I, you know, I think the if it's around the topic of what the future event looks like and how that is being you know, develop. That's you know, it, it, that is the golden question. But I think it's a golden question that we've got a lot of trend, insight, ideas. You know, as we go go towards. Um, 
Uh, the bit that I'm interested in and I've been thinking about quite a lot recently is obviously that, you know, the, the it's not an obsession, but, you know, is it trying to, people are trying to understand what hybrid means and what that's going to be like, um, you know, and, and, and part of that, I can't help but think that, you know, hybrid is, it, it, it is kind of is A plus B equals C. So C is hybrid because it's some sort of different beast from, from you know, it, it's two parents. Um, but I, for some reason that doesn't sit too well in my gut. And I kind of think that, you know, hybrid is actually still, you know, is A plus B, um, you know, beautifully intertwined. Because I think there are some, um, you know, there's some stuff that virtual is incredibly good for. And we've learned so much in the last year about, you know how we're putting on virtual events and and how we engage people and what the formats are and and what experience we can give in virtual and and obviously we've got you know years and years of doing that in 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 the physical as well so it's still you know there are parallels but you can't really you know that you can't compare them and they're, and they're not competitive you, i keep thinking of uh, saturday night takeaway which has been on now with anton deck that's a virtual event it's it's hilarious. I love having a shared experience with my family and sitting down, you know, and and, and watching that. It, it's good fun. But the audience is virtual. Um, you know, the, what's the learning out of that? Amazing hosts tying together great stories, experiences, other people's stuff, you know, roving reporters, uh, Fleur East out in the countryside, Finding people who have seen the, you know, the the kind of the rainbow lights. Well, it's it's live reporting. You don't get that at a physical event as such. You have to go onto screen to do that. And you know, maybe television entirely is a virtual event. You know, it's been going on for ages. Um, so I, I I think it's super. I think it's super exciting. I think it's you know there is no there's no new norm because there's no norm. I think set, th things will settle down, but ultimately. The consumer or, or the customer um, and the delegate will decide whether they want to go, whether they're, you know, within the right stage of the purchase path, where they have to go and feel and talk, not feel people, but feel the goods, go and talk to people about it, you know, in, in physically. Or is it that the, the, the VIPs are being invited to, uh, you know, to those physical events and there's some bigger uh, experience that, you know, the money's thrown at to help you know, at the end of the purchase cycle or, you know, and maybe the people who are doing the research into, you know, products or experiences or, or, or topics are the ones that attend virtually because it's cheaper for them to do it. And actually, you know, that, that makes sense. So it is entirely, again, continued to be led by the delegates and what they need. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to ask one quick question on this to close this uh, kind of learning content style to, to both of you, but a quick answer, please. What's your take on Clubhouse and its positioning in in our world of the events world? Is it all hot air and echo chambers, or is there, is there an actual purpose where Clubhouse actually could be a, a medium, a format? Hannah, to you first. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think it's really exciting. I think, you know, we haven't really had a chance to touch on digital natives and, and kind of that, that the way that they're, uh, you know, connecting and absorbing information. But I think that Clubhouse has a real opportunity to do something that that linkedin didn't quite quite get and I'm, I'm a huge linkedin fan in terms of building a network and for sharing content but there's a there's a digital native generation who just 
don't sort of get that model because all they really want to do is be able to connect with each other and that's a faster way for them to grow their network is through just having conversations and kind of shared experience and building that so i think clubhouse has a lot of legs i think what's also different from kind of when technology was was launched um sort of 10 years ago is we used to get a finished product and now we're constantly seeing things being rolled out while they're still in beta testing and while they're developing and then we add this and that that's also really really interesting and i think people are really responsive to that um generally people love the the kind of the fomo piece of clubhouse as well like have you had an invite are you on it yet it's iphone only um so i think it will be really exciting um and i think as long as digital sticks it has an opportunity to be integrated into events but I, once we return to live i i want to be in the bar <laughs> yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah i would agree with all of that and i think that's um you know I'd be interested. Podcasts have gone; they've exploded over, over the last few years, right? And that's you know that that's a, an, an audio plat, you know, uh, uh, platform, whatever you want to call it. Obviously, which is something that I, I I was never into podcasts. Now I love them. You know, you know, I listen to them when I go running, for example. Well, I'll probably be listening to Clubhouse when I go running if it's a topic that I I want to listen to uh, and I want to be involved with. Um, I would be. I would, there's a clubhouse after this, I think, as well, you know, which is, I think that's a perfect use of it. Let's continue the conversation. Let's take it offline, but online, you know, uh, wherever else. I would be really interested to understand how the, the, the how clubhouse developed. Was it through demand or was it because somebody some time ago developed a technology that very easily and cheaply um uh, saved audio conversations and could turn that into some sort of data and thought, how do I monetize this? I know, actually, let's create this exclusive invite-only environment, uh, get some influencers in, start talking about stuff. Suddenly, we've got this new platform that everyone's going to be talking about. And there's some sort of exclusivity. And that's going to happen. So, you know, was it demand-led or was it product-led? Uh, you know, I, I don't know. That would be interesting to know. But I think like many of these things, or all of these things, you know, it'll be the the people like you or I who are sitting on it and listening that, you know, will will we'll gauge the levels of audience that they get. Yeah. Okay. Well, I've done a poor job of keeping to time, so um, I'm gonna. I do want to touch on digital natives and people uh, very quickly for the last five minutes. And um, Ed, staying with you, one of the things you talked about was digital natives and that event managers now, well, they used to have a role of logistics and and maybe creative predominantly but now they have to become as in your words in your report communication experts or they they will flourish and have flourished if they've been able to adapt to that do you see yeah. that as being a key um asset for them to have as a, as a skill set to really grow in this world um yeah what's your take on it yeah definitely and and, and you're uh, you're alluding to a really nice point that came out of the research and there, there were many very very strong positives that uh, that came out of the report actually and what one of which was um was repeated by uh, i think three or four of the people that i had qualitative interviews with said that some of the people that were really shining were the younger uh people within their business who now had a voice were digital natives they were much more flexible and adaptable and had 
digitally minded solutions to be able to carry through into the marketing. So, you know, the people obviously got their jobs there because they were good in the first place. But actually, rather than have the, having this sort of this higher hierarchy structure, which was based on, you know, either if you've got a louder voice or you've been there for a long or you're more senior, the, people were searching out digital natives uh, to understand, um, you know, what, what they thought. And the, and the other point that you made there is, is um, you know, event, uh, event personnel were having to upskill incredibly quickly from going from kind of analog events um, to digital events. And suddenly, they, you know, they were required to being um, uh, experts in technology and engagement and were working with the IT teams much, much more closely. And, you know, if, 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 if they didn't learn quickly, I'm afraid, you know, they weren't going to succeed. So the learning was forced on them. But um, yeah, I think dig you know the digital natives. It was it was an opportunity to shine that was coming through on on the report. Yeah, thank you. Um, and Hannah, almost closing uh, just with you. You talked about this at the early stage of um, almost when we started about how younger people have embraced also you know the changing environments and and all of that really taking ownership of their space, their work. Um, how do you see this continuing? You know, are we all back into offices? Is it, you know, is it all going to be flexi working? What, what do you see the makeup? Yeah, um, I see. I think the great thing that we see about that that kind of that younger pool of talent is exactly what Ed's saying. They're really solutions focused, um, and one of the big things that's come out in the last year is getting to solutions quicker um, because we haven't had the same amount of time to strategize and workshop and plan and then test and retest and play out every scenario. So whether or not it's digital or whether or not it's just their approach to work that kind of ability to move from problem to solution i think is really exciting mm. um we're definitely also seeing some some kind of pressure when when hiring and things for people to have slightly more commercial awareness it depend even wherever they are um kind of in in employee scale and, and where they're applying for just some awareness of how their position fits into the agency and how the agency fits into the industry um is a different challenge so mm. particularly people are far less siloed in their roles and more kind of integrated in where the agency is going you know particularly at an agency of our size we, we really need everyone to be behind where we're going and how we're going to get there um so that's kind of the big shift um i think the exciting thing for people generally and it's definitely a model that we've adopted is is hiring the talent that can bring that and can challenge ideas and i know that most of our great ideas are because they've been challenged from the ground up um at least definitely no one that works for me is just kind of going yes no problem etc etc we're kind of being challenged all the way up and that's really exciting um so i think that's kind of the big shift for people and when they're hiring and interviewing at the moment that's the thing that's kind of the, the energy that, that people are looking for bringing. In terms of returning to the office, at least for Tier 21st, it's definitely too early to say and 100% too early to commit industry-wide before we've updated the team. But uh, we, we definitely have the intention of getting people back together. Um, yeah. Thank, thank you, Hannah. Thank you, Ed, for sharing today. There's so much more that I wanted to go to, but we've run out of time. Congratulations on your hire. Holly Mills has joined as Head of Incentives uh, at Cheerful 21st. So now please do make your way to sessions where there's two workshops that you can take part in. Hindsight is 2020 and the other one, which is Starting Back Better, a green return. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you back here after the break at 3.45 for the next session.
Thanks, Ed. Thanks, Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you. We really hope you enjoyed those talks. And if so, please rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. To see what the next discussions are, please go to mustbeonit.com and click on Talks in the menu bar. To contact MiceBook, please email us at info at or follow us on Instagram and Twitter.